my gear. Understand? And my gear starts with this here. All right? So. Tried to fire everybody in there. Right? Um, because you were failing kids. And there's just no excuse for that. What happened? Pontiac. I'm so excited today. Welcome to everybody. Thank you for joining. Shout out to the big homie, Curtis Valentine, Real Men Teach. Uh, got my hoodie the other day. Uh, I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited. Anytime I get to talk about the Wu-Tang and somebody who's actually a scholar of the Wu-Tang and a scholar of hip hop is super important, right? And this cat, uh, you can check him out at Skiz Fernando on uh, uh, Twitter. And uh, for those that are listening, uh, the first five people to DM me on Twitter, I'm going to send you a free copy of his book. So I'm just letting y'all know, free copy of his book. First five people to DM me on uh, Twitter, at Robert underscore Simmons three. Um, but let's get into this conversation with this brother, because this, this is a scholar of hip hop, the Wu-Tang, and is a writer, right? And so I think it's important to acknowledge his brilliance, his gifts, um, as we come into the space. Uh, we've been in this conversation of trying to get him on the podcast since August. Uh, he was traveling out of the country, then he was here. So we, we, we've been working at this um, to get schedules aligned. Uh, so, uh, brother, how you doing? You good? I'm chilling, man. I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. You've been at this writing thing for a minute since like the 90s, right? You wrote one of the first books on hip hop, The New Beats in 94. Yep. You got a cookbook out. Rice and Curry came out in 2011. Now you have from the streets of Shaolin, the Wu-Tang Saga out. What is your process when you sit down to write? Like, how do you think about writing? Wow, that's a that's a that's an open ended question. But let me let me just say this. You you know, writing is, is something that doesn't come easy to, to people. It, it certainly doesn't come easy to me. Hmm. And. To, to 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 write a book is is a whole different thing you know i mean writing for magazines writing a small piece here and there is no big deal but when you're writing a book and you're committing at least a year of your life sometimes more to a subject you have to have you you got to be extremely passionate about that subject yeah so you know i was i, I had i had my my last book which you which you mentioned was my cookbook which came out in 2011 and since that time, I've been trying to think of, of a book that I really wanted to write. And, you know, I was, I was trying to rake my mind and think, what, you know, what could I really write about? What am I really passionate about that I could really commit a lot of time to? Yeah. And the answer was staring me at, in the face because I was listening to some Wu-Tang at the time. And I was like, man, no one's written a really deep book about the clan. So I think, I think I'm going to go there. You know, I think I'm going to go there and I think I'm the person to do it because, you know, I spent a lot of time with these brothers back in the nineties when I was writing for the source, when I was writing for vibe, when I was writing for Rolling Stone, all these magazines, they used to send me to go cover the clan. I would, in fact, I was like a journalist who was kind of associated with the clan because Early on, I had even written their first press release for Loud for Protect Your Neck. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've been kind of on board since since day one 
of you know when they started first crawling out of the underground and I, I, I was probably the first person to interview RZA back in back you know back in probably yeah. like ninety three when we were when I was writing that press release for for Protect Your Neck so yeah. I got tons of material on them you know I've spent time with each and every member of the clan I've yeah. interviewed them multiple times. As I said, I've written articles for many magazines about them, and it, I, I thought now with the 30th anniversary, end of the 36 chamber, end of the Wu Tang 36 chambers, is in a couple years. Where actually yesterday was the 28th anniversary of the release, yeah. so it's about time that we got that we did a deep dive into Wu Tang, and that's what From the Streets of Shaolin is all about. So let's do that deep dive. Um, when you think about the story that's told in the book, um, and you know, and I got my copy right here somewhere on the camera. Um, and when you think about the content, right? And you think about uh, the woo and kind of what they meant to the culture, to American culture. What's the legacy of the Wu-Tang, in your opinion, based on kind of your intimate knowledge of them and, and talking to them and spending time? What's their legacy? Well, I think, I think at this point they have transcended hip-hop. You know, they've transcended mm. rap music. They've tra they, they, as you said, they are cultural icons now. They are American icons, you know. And to me, the, the whole legacy is the fact that eight brothers from the projects come together and form like Voltron for this, like this, you know, united for a common cause and actually do some damage and make something happen, you know, because a lot of, a lot of dudes yeah. are just like sitting on their asses waiting for things to happen. These guys made it happen for themselves yeah. and they had, they had no other opportunities. You know, a lot of them were in the drug game. They didn't want to be in the drug game, but that's what, that's what fate had thrown their way. Yeah. And so I think the legacy is is really is that is it's just like it's it's like it's all it's almost like the American dream, you know, like dudes coming from nothing and throwing it all together into the pile and yeah. and and coming together and making something happen for themselves and for their families. And now, as I said, they've kind of even transcended music. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, they, 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 they've gone into so many other things, movies and TV and what, what have yeah. you. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see, you know, and I think that's an example that we can all use for ourselves. I use it, you know, I, I use them as an example in my own life, you know, because, you know, when dudes like that who are coming from nothing can, can get together and have the impact that they did, there's no excuse for the rest of us that to not do exactly what we want to do in gotcha. life, you know? Gotcha. When, when you think about, the cast of characters known as the Wu-Tang Clan, which one of them uh, do you think is most recognizable outside of hip hop to be associated with uh, Wu-Tang? I would have to say either, either Meth or ODB. Yeah. You know, meth, is, meth has always been like the star of the group and he's probably the most widely known personality but you know even ODB even though he's even though he's since passed to me he, he was the heart and soul of the group you know he was he if you boil down what the clan represented into one member it was definitely ODB 
the witty, yeah. unpredictable talent and natural game. That was him, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who's the miss? Who's the most misunderstood member of the Wu Tang in in your experience? I, I I would say I would say you God because he get, he gets the least amount of credit, but um, he's one of the smartest dudes in the clan. I, I would say. And if you, if, I don't know if you've read his book. He he was one of the first to come out with the biography called Raw. That is an incredible book, you know, detailing his life story. And you know, in the in uh, and he's pretty, he, you know, he's pretty frank about his experiences in the drug game. And he was he was probably one of the most successful in the drug game. And you know, mm. you gotta you gotta be you gotta be smart to be. I mean, you know, it's a business when it comes down to it, you know, and you got to be, you got to have what it takes to run a business. And he was, he was, he was pretty much doing it back in the day. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. When you think about um, where they started and you think about uh, groups that have come after them in hip hop or even outside of hip hop, have you come across as writing for Source and Vibe? Like, I mean, this legacy and litany of hip hop publications, is there a group that you think has tried to pattern themselves off the Wu-Tang? There'll never be another Wu, but right. have you found that other artists have tried to pattern themselves either as a group or individuals based on kind of the personality and their style uh, uh, from uh, their uh, origin? Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of, of artists in hip hop have kind of used the Wu-Tang example of coming together as a crew. You know, there's tons of crews in hip hop, yeah. obviously, you know, and, and around the time that Wu was happening, you had like duck down, which was, you know, boot camp clip, boot, boot camp click. You had, um, you know, flip mode squad, Buster rhymes crew. Yeah. So, you know, artists, art, you know, from seeing Wu-Tang, artists knew that there was strength in numbers, strength in unity. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think I think a crew, a modern day crew that's kind of kind of doing it in the same in the same vein is like, um, you know, West Side Gun and them, Conway, mm. Benny the Butcher. I think that crew out of Buffalo is kind of kind of kind of having that same kind of impact as, as the yeah. clan. But as you said, there's no, there's there's really no one else like them because yeah. you know they kind of changed the game, you yeah. know, with the with the whole way they did business, coming in as a group and then getting individual solo deals for all the individual members that had never been done yeah. in rap before, you know. So. Yeah. Over your career, you've interviewed them, you've talked to them. What are they like as as people? Like not as like artists, but just as people. I mean, they're incredibly down to earth and humble people because they, you know, each and every one of them have been through the struggle and they've, you know, they've, they've seen the, the bottom of life, you know? So um, they're not, they're, you know, they're not on some Hollywood shit and yeah. always, always respectful. Um, you know, I've never, I've never had any problems with any of the, of the clan members and they've always been incredibly cool and incredibly forthcoming about answering questions and stuff like that. Yeah. And just humble and just like, just like regular people, just like you and me talking here, yeah. you know, just like, just, it, it would just be like hanging with your homeboys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
what 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 was their involvement in the book? Like, how were they involved in the book? What, what was their reception of the book and, and all of those things when it was released? I, I, you know, I would love to know. I, I have, um, you know, I've sent each of the members a copy of the book, but I haven't I've not I haven't heard back from any of them. Yeah. But um, um, really, you know, the, I've interviewed them multiple times over the years. I didn't. What, like I didn't interview them immediately before the book. Yeah. You know, cause COVID was going on actually when I was, while I was writing this. So it was, it was impossible to really get out and interview people. The closest I came to interviewing was, was Jizza. But most of the interviews that I've done from them are from between 1993 and 2005. So this is really a history book. It is a history, but in, in addition to my own interviews, you know, I used every interview yeah. that's out there on the internet, every, everything that's on YouTube, all the interviews that have been published about them. You know, when you write a book, you want to access all the information yeah. that's out there. So that's why, that's why I call this a definitive book, because I, I have used pretty much every interview with them that exists, you know, gotcha. and I transcribed yeah. all this stuff on YouTube and everything like that. So even if, even if even if the stuff is might not be even if quotes might not be coming from my personal interviews, it's all information that's public information on Wu-Tang. Yeah, yeah. and so you you're, you're kind of a historian of hip hop, right? So one of the things that comes up, I have to ask you, as a historian of hip hop, right? Not as like someone who's a hip hop fan like me, but someone who understands like the less legacy of hip hop, right? right. I want to veer off a little bit because I have to ask. Biggie or Pop? Oh, I got to go with Biggie. I'm sorry. Now tell me why. Because <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn, man. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I live like right around the corner from Biggie Smalls. For yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he lived on St. James Place. I lived on Cambridge, which is right around the corner. So, but what about yeah. is, is like if you were to ask uh, cats in the Wu Tang, what would they uh -huh. say? Do you think? I think you know. I mean, I think I think both of those artists get a lot of respect. I think um, I think most people would go for Biggie too, because you know you got strong Brooklyn contingent in Wu Tang. You got Jizza, Dirty, Master Killer, all from Brooklyn. You know, RZA is originally from Brooklyn, so yeah. you know. These are all Brooklyn representatives, you know, so. So there's a little bias, a little bias. Yeah, a little, little bias there. Yeah, yeah. So I want to, before we go back to Wu-Tang, mm -hmm. you've seen it all in hip hop, right? Who are kind of the artists now that speak to you as a writer about hip hop, a scholar about hip hop that are just like on the mic and you're just like, yo, I got to hear that again. Well, I got to say that there's this one artist among all the new talent that really stands like head and shoulders above the rest. And that would be Kendrick. Yeah, I mean, that dude, that dude is like on, on some incredible shit, you know. And yeah. actually, my, my friend just wrote a book about him. Um, my, my friend Miles Marshall Lewis just wrote a book about Kendrick. And what's the title of the book? Do you know? Um, oh, my God. Miles is going to kill me. We we um, we we, we gonna get that to uh, I, I see I see some people putting cash money uh, in the in the chat like I can't even compare cash money. No to no, no 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 no. 
That's not that's a non-start. That's a non-start. Nah, we can't. But Kendrick, <laughs> man, as as far as lyrically, as far as an MC, yeah, this guy, this guy is a super talented dude, and he's super young, you know, and and you know he he has had the he has had the benefit of having, you know, learned from so many dope MCs um, in the history of of rap, but yeah. still the guys. He's an incredible artist. And, so uh, I'm, yeah. I'm from Detroit, right? Uh -huh. And so I got to have you give me your critique and analysis of Eminem. As someone who grew up and watching him at the hip-hop shop, I remember when he was nobody. Going to the hip-hop shop, it was a fire fire hazard, all this other stuff. Not to put our business out there on the street of uh, underground hip-hop in Detroit. Um, what's your analysis of Eminem and his influence on hip-hop um, uh, as it currently stands and kind of his legacy? Well, you, I mean, uh, you know, I have the utmost respect for Eminem, even, even, even if I'm not a huge fan of his, of his catalog, yeah. you, you gotta, you gotta respect what he's done for the art form and you gotta respect him as an MC. I mean, right. the, 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 the dude has serious skills and, you know, also like his personal story of where he's coming from and the struggle that, that he had to get to where he's at now is just incredible, you know? Yeah. So I, you got to have respect for people like that. And per, you know, personally, I, personally, I, I don't like his voice, but oh. I, I respect his lyrics, you know, and I respect. Did you say you don't like his voice. Tell well, me, tell me more. Just, just, just the, just the, just the, the timbre of his voice, you know, it's, it's kind of more, it's more kind of high on the register. Um, but he's a, I mean, he's a, he's a dope artist. He's an amazing artist. Don't get me wrong, but you know, it's just, it's just personally. Yeah. You not know, your chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, growing up in Detroit, you know, Isham, uh, uh, was was one of the cats when you know you you uh, in in Detroit. I always tell folks like you know I ask them, oh, you grew up in Detroit in the eighties, like you know Esham or you know uh, uh, the Cheddar Boys or any of those, and they like, no, nah, I don't know the Cheddar Boys. I'm like, nah, you went into hip hop. Uh, I, know the I know Esham. I know Esham. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, right. Taking me back. Uh, we here. We are here with uh, Skiz Fernando. And so S-K-I-Z-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-O -E at uh, Twitter. Um, and we're talking about his book from the streets of Shaolin, the Wu-Tang Saga. So we have about 12 minutes left. And I want to get through a couple things in the book. So at one point in the book, you talk about um, RZA and <coughs> his, his work in the Wu-Tang. When you think about the Wu-Tang and kind of RZA's relevance to the Wu-Tang and his positionality in the group. Um, what is his actual relationship with the other brothers in, in the group? Well, he's the, he's like the, the linchpin, you know, it's yeah. like he had, he, he, he's the guy who's at the center because he had a relationship with all the individual members. All the other guys didn't necessarily know each other but RZA knew each of them and it's his relationship with each of them that really made the clan strong, you know, because it's almost like he personally went and handpicked all these, all these, all these dudes, you know? Yeah. Because I, you know, I talk about, you know, his first foray into the music industry as a solo artist with Tommy boy 
and then he got dropped. And then his whole plan was, yo, I know so many talented rappers just in Staten Island. I'm going to come back with my whole crew. And the Wu-Tang was his crew. You know, it was his cousins, Dirty and Jizza, who were from Brooklyn, and the rest of the guys that he grew, that he basically grew up with, you know, Ghostface, who he lived with, Raekwon, Inspector Deck, Method Man, You God, um, all these guys. Master Killer was, you know, a friend of um, of, of Jizz's, and he came yeah. from the Brooklyn side. But you know, you cannot you cannot downplay RZA's significance at all because without RZA, you don't have a group. You know, Riz is the guy who knew each of them. Riz is the guy who put together the plan of coming together, pulling all their money, doing that first 12 inch, protect your neck. Yeah. Because because that was all there was at the point at that point. You know, yeah. they didn't have all these plans about solo. You know, his first thing was let's get on first. You know, let's get on as a group. And, you know, when you think about it, at that time, there was no groups with like eight, nine, ten people in it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I do go back in my book and trace back to the old, the early era of hip-hop when you did have groups like that, did have large groups, you know, like Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Cole Crush Brothers. So there is a precedent for a group with a lot, a lot of MCs. But Wu-Tang was kind of just like reviving that for a new era, you know, and RZA, you know, aside from being the mastermind who put the plan together, he was the business mind who eventually said, you know, we're all not going to eat with one contract. I'm going to get each of you a solo deal, which was unprecedented. So he came with that. And then creatively, I mean, come on, this guy is like, yeah. As a producer, you, you couldn't you couldn't top him in the nineties, you know, yeah. with all these other dope producers around with P Premier, Pete Rock, you know, Havoc, um, yeah. you know, Mr. Walt from 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 Beat Miners. You had all these dope producers, but Rizza was far and away the top guy, you know, and without his beats, you know, you wouldn't have Wu Tang either. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's Riz's position amongst the clan. To me. Yeah, that's that's a real talk. And I'll admit, my favorite. I think we were talking before we went live that my favorite was always uh, Method Man. Um, but part of it was I always thought Method Man was just funny as shit. Like he would just say some of the funniest things uh, whenever I saw him on uh, uh, camera. H how did do you know uh, enough about the group dynamics of how they deal with the fact that in general? There's like someone who's more famous than like Ghostface, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, outside of hip hop. Like all of them are famous to folks like you and I, right? Because right. we 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 love the Wu, we love their music, we love what they've done uh, as individuals. Um, and, and like, what? How do they manage that as a group? Uh, it's tough, you know. It's tough, and. Yeah. And we've seen, you know, we've seen the 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 friction. I don't know if I don't know if you saw that movie uh, of Mike's yeah. and Men. You know, we saw yeah. even in that movie we saw some friction between the group. But you know, the at the end of the day, Wu Tang is a family, and that's why they have managed to stay together this long. I mean, this is unprecedented longevity in the game, man. 
28 years and they're still they're still touring together they still do shows together they're still brothers you know because you yeah. can't when you come up in the struggle like that you know you're you're, you're brothers for life and um yeah. you know that's wu-tang and that's why we love them you know because they're they're a family sometimes they're a dysfunctional family but <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah they, they just, we we, 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 we all we're all yeah. we're all dysfunctional families. At the, yeah, at the I saw that. Place, uh, so. I saw that uh, uh, flick. It was just like, damn, they got some interesting dynamics here. But you know, even you know, I, I had I had the pleasure of reading Raekwon's book, which is coming out at the end of this month, and he, you know, he says some stuff in there about Rizza and Divine that they're not going to like. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, these guys can criticize each other because they are brothers like that. You know, no one's yeah. going to take it personally like that. Obviously, there's people who are who are who are bigger than them. But like I said in the in the beginning, yeah. these guys are very down to earth. You know, they're not on some star Tom Hollywood shit. As long as they've been famous, you know, they're they're still they're still very much down to earth, down to the ground. So. You know, yeah, we have like uh, five minutes. What's your next book project? What, which, what you gonna do next? Well, I don't even, I don't even know, cause like you know, after you finish a book, you gotta, you gotta spend a lot of time promoting it, cause it's like yeah. people don't even know that the book is out there, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to people like you who have me on their podcasts and stuff like that, cause the whole, the whole game is different now. You don't have like magazines and stuff to do reviews on the book and stuff like that. It's really, it's really down to podcasts and stuff now, you know, to get the word out. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm doing a lot of interviews. I'm doing a lot of, you know, I'm doing whatever press I can. But um, one thing that I'm doing now um, is I got this newsletter on Bulletin, which is this new platform for writers. Okay. And I have a free, I have a free newsletter on Golden Era Hip Hop. So every week I'm dropping a little gem about some artist or some album or some song or some trend that you might have missed in the in the in the in the 90s or the late 80s which is you know to me was like the golden era of hip hop and um and that's called rebel without a pause and, and it's you can check it right now it's on bulletin but okay uh, rebel rebel.bulletin.com okay and I'm doing weekly drops on that and it's all free. So please, please check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell me about your um, book on uh, rice and curry. Well, you know, food is another interest of mine. You know, music has always been an interest of mine, but food is another interest of mine. And, you know, I wanted to, um, I love to cook, first of all, and I wanted to uh, learn how to make all the food that I ate growing up because I'm my, my parents are from Sri Lanka and I, you know, I grew up eating very spicy food from the Island and I wanted to learn how to make that food. So in, um, you know, in, in, in the 2011 or 2010, I went back there, learned how to cook all these dishes and put it all together in a cookbook. Oh, wow. And I even yeah. went on, I even went on uh, Anthony Bourdain's show. Oh, really? Took him to, took him to Sri Lanka as well to check out the food there. Okay. So, yeah. So if okay. you like spicy food, check that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to have to uh, check it out. Um, when you think about um, the Wu-Tang, 
And as we kind of close out here, yeah. Um, and you think about this new, younger version. There was a whole thing here in D.C. where there was a celebration of the Wu-Tang at this hotel and they had like panels and blah, blah, blah. And um, I was talking to my 10 year old. I said, yo, we should go check this out. Uh, he had a cold, so we didn't go. And we got to go check out the Wu-Tang. He's like, who? And I was oh. like, bro, like you can't be my I'm child. Like, and I'm Huh? I had some technical difficulties on that. I, I missed that question. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, like, uh, can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just go to the short version. What's the legacy of the Wu Tang in twenty years? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. The legacy of Wu-Tang in 20 years is I think they're still going to be around, <laughs> believe it or not, because wow. they kept it. They kept it 100 all this time. And, yeah. you know, their fans are so loyal. You know, look, look at you and me still. That's still, right. That's right. Still rooting for Wu-Tang. So they're going to be That's around. Right. They're going to be around. That's right. They're, they're can, only 50, uh, man. Yeah, they're young. They're young. Yeah, they just get started. So as we close, how can people find you on social media, uh, web page, uh, all those things uh, before we close out? At, at Skiz Fernando on Twitter, um, Skiz Fernando on Facebook. You can follow me. And like I said, uh, subscribe to my newsletter on Bulletin. Rebel without a pause. Got it. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, to the first five people, DM me uh, on Twitter. I'm going to get you a copy of this uh, brother's uh, book. Don't cut the line because it's only for the first five uh, people. I appreciate you. Um, I will continue to uh, tweet about uh, your book. Um, would love to bring you to D.C. Uh, as well at some point uh, once things kind of open up and are less crazy. Um, but sure. I just want to thank you for your time um, and just honored to uh, uh, talk to somebody who's uh, a legend in uh, writing about hip hop and a hip hop scholar. So thank you for uh, joining us, uh, brother. Thank you, man. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, brother. Take care. Peace. Peace. Bro. Bro. <laughs> man, you, you know I love me some Wu-Tang, bro. Man, you brought that thing home, man. That was dope. Yeah, man. I love, uh, I love Wu-Tang. Um, and, um, you know, um, and I'm ready for our sneaker uh, uh, piece this week, too. You caught hey, me. Let's kick it off. Let's kick it off. Kick it off. Yeah. yeah. What's, 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 what's hot? What's hot? So what's hot this week is um, I really want to hear someone asked me the other day. Well, you know, um, what are school leaders doing with all of this COVID stuff? And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, well, do you really think they all reporting all the uh, cases of COVID? I was like, oh, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I know the perfect person to ask as he runs in circles with other school leaders. So the question is, are school leaders reporting all the cases? Do you think the numbers are actually accurate that, that we're seeing? It's tricky. Um <laughs> I think I think school. I mean, so it, it takes it takes me back to the last one when we're talking about just the whole accountability piece, right? And we're talking yeah. about just like 
the pressures that are put on schools in terms of uh, academic providing academic rigor for scholars and just making sure that you know kids are learning. We saw during the pandemic that you know the online learning program and the online learning platform. You know, although there were some students that benefited from that type of education, uh, most of our students did not, right? And so being in person is kind of paramount to that learning process. And so I'm thinking, you know, for for school leaders that may be doing that and may fall into that category, it's the pressure of scholars that have been out of school for two years. And so, like, running into those, those, those issues of, like, you got, like, tremendous uh, learning gaps that have now occurred because of COVID and doing the most in terms of like wanting to keep kids in school. And so do I think uh, uh, principals are, are putting kids in danger? No. Uh, mm. But do I think that uh, the CDC guidelines are a little ambiguous at times? Yes. Right. All and so right. for example, if you have someone that's um, if you, if you have, so when, when COVID first uh, started, you would have school leaders that would shut a whole class down if there was one case. Right. Hmm. I think now if there's just one case, then there's reluctance to shut the whole class down um, based off of the amount of people that have been vaccinated and just like all those other things or not. Right. So like there's a different there's different approaches to how someone would hmm. probably address COVID now as opposed to like how they addressed it when it first when it was new. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, when I want to keep going down this, this uh, you mentioned the, <laughs> the politics of it. So I got my whole list today, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're you're a well documented Republican. I am. Some of you, uh, I got in trouble. I actually got in trouble for that earlier. <laughs> what? Come on, man. People like. <laughs> anyway, uh, I won't even go down the rabbit hole. But um, some of your people voted for the infrastructure bill. Yeah. Now they getting death threats. Was 13 of them? 13? 13. Yeah, 13. What as as a Republican, right? Yeah. What what is going on? Like what <laughs> I, I just need to understand. The people need so, to understand. Explain so listen, it to us. I, so I honestly I can't even like I can't even explain it, right? Like our party right now is 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 in peril, right? And so um you have you have the Trump faction of the Republican Party that's like super heavy. Right. And so they're not making really any moves uh, to piss him off. One, because they don't know if he's actually going to run in uh, in, in, in 24. Um, they don't know. Right. And so if you have this person that's just like a wild card, but, you know, he can probably win the nomination with his eyes closed if he did run. And then you got other folks that are just like scared as hell. Right. You got folks that are uh, coming into the midterms like, hey. Listen, I got enough funds to run against a Democrat. I don't want to have to uh, do a runoff with someone in my party or whatever. Like, you know, and so he had, but he has the power to to say, hey, this candidate should be the person, right? So, like, he can run this candidate against you, right? And so then, you know, there's all kind of dynamics that are associated with the amount of power that this guy has, right? Yeah. And no right. one person should have that amount of power, right? Thanks. Regardless of party. Yeah, but right. uh, speaking speaking of, of the Republican Party, man, I want to say that you know we laid down a hero in Colin Powell um, uh, this past week, and so yeah, that was a very respectable guy. Uh, he he voted for Obama, right? Yeah. And, he started and, America's and, Promise, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. But he but he voted for. But so in, in saying that, meaning that, you know, you can be a Republican, you can have uh, re- Republican ideals, but you're still going to vote for the best candidate for the people. Right. And so, right. like, you know, I'm not anti-socialist. I feel like, you know, if you're you know, if you're in America, that's allegedly the richest country in the nation. There's certain things that you should be providing for your citizens. Right. And that's kind of anti-Republican when you think about it. But uh, for me, I'm just I'm common sense practical in terms of like how I think about things. But I want money to stay in my pocket, right? <laughs> and so, Fair enough. you know. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I can rock with you. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the other thing that um, has been uh, that I've been uh, noticing uh, that um, I, I, I want us to talk about um, is, is that in higher education, right, there was this whole thing with critical race theory. In the 80s and 90s, it was a theoretical framework. Yeah. And it was pretty obscure, right? Like, if you weren't an academic, generally, or you didn't complete a doctoral degree, generally speaking, you're like, what the heck is that? Like, yeah. Who? So now you're beginning to see the most money put into school board races in our history. Mm-hmm. You're beginning to see the new governor in uh, the incoming governor in my state of Virginia say on his first day, he's going to ban critical race theory. Um, And so I've been super interested to, when I talk to people who are actually in the trench in a school, superintendents, principals, teachers, whatever, how, how are people responding to the rhetoric around critical race theory? Bro. So believe it or not, it hasn't come up once. Really? In, in my school. And like, and I was telling somebody earlier today, I live on Long Island. And Long, <laughs> Island is, Long Island is like Mississippi, right? And so I've seen uh, school board meetings erupt uh, on Long Island with regards to just like that topic of critical race theory, right? Like miles within my school or whatever, right? But bro, I show up as who I am, right? And so I'm pretty sure folks understand. And so if you're sending your kid to my school, like it's just like an unknown thing that like, Certain things are gonna happen, right? So, why are we gonna talk about it? <laughs> oh, that but, is so funny. But uh, again, like you know, as speaking to your point, if you're not if you're not in uh, if you're not in law school or if you're not like in a doctoral program, then uh, critical race theory is 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 probably not gonna show up uh, in, in any kind of courses that you're going to take. That's like high level doctoral courses. And in, in in law school, right? And so, um, you know, remember initially in my in my dissertation, my framework was critical race theory, right? right. And so familiar with it or whatever. But also, I will say in higher ed, um, the white folks aren't as friendly uh, when it comes down to like when they're on your on your dissertation committee or whatever, and then you you say like critical race theory is going to be your theoretical framework, right? And so you you I, I don't know how many doctoral students that base this. But, you know, it was easier to get get you through to, you know, to IRB if you didn't have CRT as your framework, especially given the political climate. Right. So I'm pretty sure that that helped me up a little bit. Yeah. The other other thing that was on my list that I was super fascinated with uh, is one of our OGs, uh, Howard Fuller. Um, I saw a clip of uh, of uh, Dr. Fuller. uh, It was on Twitter someplace. today or yesterday, and I always marvel at listening to him and how he talks about 
education um, and the ways in which he thinks about it. And of course, I watch the the trolls on Twitter, like school choice, da 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 da. da. Um, as someone who has worked in charter schools, as someone who has been very public about your support of charter schools, when you think about with black people, right? Why, why, why are black people, I wanna say all black people, why are some black people so opposed to charter schools? You really wanna know my answer to that? Yes. I'm. I'm Serious. Powerful and broader. So, I was like, yeah, I gotta ask yeah. my brother this. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, some people are opposed to, to charter schools because of how they uh, how they come into neighborhoods, right? And so mm-hmm. you know, there's a difference between a single site charter school, um, uh, a black run LEA, and white CMOs, right? We we have this conversation all the time, right? And so you know, is that is there that uh, parental outreach that's happening in these neighborhoods, right? Is there that white savior complex that's happening uh, in, in these networks, right? And so folks pick up on that. Um, folks then equate that to this whole privatization uh, movement, right? So you're trying to privatize um, education, right? And so they look at it from that perspective as well. Um, also, and I, I think this is, this is the most important thing, it's now become competition to, to union-run schools, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you have folks that are in the workforce that are not unionized, that are doing the work for kids, that are getting results, that are doing everything that they need to do, uh, you know, in order to kind of uplift uh, student achievement. And it's no longer a monopoly for, uh, for public education. It's now competition, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. folks don't like competition, right? Like, I'm pretty sure uh, even though Zuckerberg is like, Hey, you know, we, we welcome uh, uh, rigid standards and, and, and whatever the government, you know, he don't want that shit. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's super, uh, super interesting. As someone who's worked in both charters and public, uh, traditional public schools, right? Charter schools are public schools uh, for the most part. Right. You know, I want to yeah. always correct people. I'm like, eh, yeah. you know, they are public schools, right? Um, and the per pupil allocation, at least in here in D.C., is actually a little different. It's everywhere. That's everywhere. Right. Oh, it's everywhere. They off, they're skipping. They're skipping off top. Though. These districts are skipping off top. They're getting. They're getting they about 20 percent off top. You yeah. never even see. You have. You never even see that bread. So, like when we talk charter school talk, we're like, "Hey, we're doing more or less." We really are doing more or less, right? Yeah. And so they'll put some kind of fee on a student or whatever, and I'm just like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, right? it's super So it's, it's a real. It's a dirt. It's a. It's a dirty game, man. It's a dirty game. Yeah. So uh, up in New York. Yeah, new mayor. It's been all in the news. Uh, yeah. We're probably gonna have a new chancellor, um, and uh, super excited to see where this goes. Why the chancellor right now is dope? That's just I'm just dope, super, bro. I'm, oh, I'm just super excited to see politically where it goes because um, I, I've never. I, I've I just find that uh, education in New York in all five boroughs, public or yeah. charter, is one of the most politicized spaces of course. Yeah. I've ever seen, right? Like, and, and so I'm just curious as, as you, as Mayor Adams, I think is his last name, transitions in, and whatever happens with the chancellor happens, uh, what is the state of affairs of uh, education in uh, New York in the five boroughs? Bro, 
Um, <laughs> so, I, first and foremost, I don't think top cops make good politicians, right? Um, wow. So I, I just, I don't, right? And so, I don't, I don't want New York City to become like a law and order type of situation, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I definitely don't, don't want to do that. I don't want to see any stop and frisk or like any, any of those like old school policies reenacted in yeah. some form or fashion, right? Uh, racial profile and like all those things that we know that happen. Right, I don't want to see that happen because the top cop is, uh, is 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 the mayor, and so hopefully you know he 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 approaches the situation in a in a in a manner that's progressive, uh, in terms of like doing the work for students. Hopefully he creates a, a an atmosphere that's uh, that's conducive to charter schools and traditional uh, traditional public schools collaborating, um, and you know hopefully yeah. he hopefully if he has mayoral control, which I don't know for sure that they'll continue to allow for uh for the mayor to have mayor mayoral control over the schools because he's a black man um i i i hope that they that he advocates for them to lift the cap for charter schools so that parents can now uh obtain the schools that they want to send their, their their kids to right and i hope that they honor that interesting interesting i i, I need to ponder this top cop <laughs> yeah, Bro, super, top, top cops do not super, um, super uh, fascinating. All right, so we got about fifteen minutes or less. Um, so I want to get to uh, two more things, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about um, food in schools, right? Like you're actively on Twitter talking about it. You know, I'm passionate about talking about food in schools, quality food, hydroponic gardens. Um, and you've had the lunches on uh, Twitter um, at Mr. Underscore Ankrum on Twitter for folks. Um, what What is your take on post people being remote in schools? How are kids feeling about and families for that matter about the state of food quality in schools based on your experience and conversations other school leaders might be having? Bro, um, man, well, to, be honest, to, to be honest with you, uh, school lunches are trash, right? School lunches have always been trash. Um, I think that it, it, it fared a little bit better when uh, when Michelle Obama, uh, first lady, had her program going on, like healthy schools, healthy food in schools or whatever, like that initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, I think that these companies that uh, that 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 have a monopoly on on foods in schools right they no i feel like they do the bare minimum in terms of like providing kids with like tasty choices and alternatives for school um just up until recently uh kids that didn't eat meat that needed a vegetarian option weren't getting those options um i also think there's a there's a lot of things that um that have to do with this school lunch that could be changed right so for example mm. you have the low fat, you have the low fat milk, but you probably should have a skim option or a soy option or or a, a plant based option, right? And there's just and and, and plant based milk is not as as more exp- as expensive as um as regular milk, right? It's just that like you gotta want to do right for kids. And a lot of this, a lot of these foods are are, are subsidized, right? So like you're you're able to kind of build back the government in order to in order to get your money back for the schools. So to not have a healthy option 
um, to not explore those healthy options is, is, is criminal, right? right? And so for me, I always try to I always try to stay in the loop in terms of like what students are eating, what they like, what they enjoy, or whatever. Um, and to make sure that you know when we are addressing the things to order for students that we're ordering things that they eat. I'm really big on like uh, looking in the trash to see how much food waste is happening, right? Because a lot of that is happening. And mm. so what we'll do is we'll um, you know but prior to COVID because it's hard to do it now. Um, because you know you want to stay safe and you want other folks to stay safe, but we would um, we would take out excess food and then take it to um, take it to pantries and stuff in order for them to feed the homeless and do those types of things or whatever. But that would only be you know it, with edible food, right? So like if you had like a really really crappy meal one day or whatever, like you can't you can't take that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I'm always mindful of that, and I'm always checking in with students. And if you're a school leader and you're watching this show, I suggest that you. Uh, periodically eat your school lunch and then check in with students to see what kinds of experiences they're having uh, with school lunch. And wait, what about breakfast? Um, do you find a lot of your students eat breakfast at school or? Yeah. So the, bre- the breakfast option is, is, is prepackaged, right? And um, it, it's, I think it's healthier, right? So I'm, I'm going to do a video on the, bre- the breakfast option is that because you know, you got the reduced sugar uh, cereals that we all like to eat. Right. So you got reduced sugar uh, cereals. Then you got like a, a little uh, a breakfast bar uh, it comes with. Uh, then it comes with a, a, a fruit. Mm. Right. And then you have a, a, a milk option as well. So for me, if I'm looking at the breakfast, like I'm like, all right, a reduced sugar cinnamon toast crunch. All right. Right. <laughs> I can get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 Interesting. That's uh, so maybe we should serve breakfast at lunch, too. Maybe. Yeah. But no, we have it. We, we, we use like, so if we have uh, any additional uh, breakfast items or whatever, we'll put it out for snack. We allow our kids to bring their own snacks in. Um, they don't usually make the most healthiest choices when they're bringing the food in, I'm which sure. is another conversation that we need to have because I'm sitting and I'm looking at the food that they bring in and I'm just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the last uh, two things on my list are sports related. Okay. okay. Um, I got it as a as a fantasy basketball junkie. Um, yeah. I'm three and zero right now. So just for my uh, DMV basketball crew, in case y'all watching, um, I'm taking that chip home. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My team is led by Paul George and uh, the the point guard from uh, San Antonio. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Nikolai Jokic and yeah, it was a bit of a Donnie Brook. Now yeah. keep in mind, I'm from Detroit. Yeah. I grew up in the Bad Boys era, yeah. so you know a little blood. Yeah, you know, yeah, you, you ain't injured. You just hurt. So yeah. like, put a band aid on. Yeah, let's let's keep playing, right? Yeah. So th- it spilled over into Twitter. Where the Jokic brothers were like, "Hey, don't do that. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't want to see you. You don't, we'll put hands on you, Morris twins, right? Mm-hmm. What, what's going on in the NBA? Has the NBA become soft? Has the NBA like just what's Bro, going? Yes, on? absolutely, one hundred percent. The NBA has become soft, right? Um, the fouls that you used to see in the in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, or whatever, right? Those 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 used to position su- superstars to become superstars, right? 
And so if you were able to take those blows going to the basket and make the three point uh make 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 the three point um conversion or whatever, right? Like those that's what made you a superstar, right? Because like most people was taking it to the hole, they weren't really at the three point line per se, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it was that foul and that and one, right? Which made Jordan Jordan. Yeah. Um and so nowadays, man, you got you got these 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 athletes, they're prima donnas, bro. And so, you know, they're they're crying for foul calls or whatever. Like if you look at James Harden prior to this year for the last for the last five seasons, like five five seasons, he had his own rules in terms of like, you know, getting a foul calls or whatever, <laughs> right? It's so it's disgusting, bro. It's not the basketball that we grew up on, right? And oh, and no. I could never I could never really get used to it, right? And so I fought the NBA for this, right? And the reason why is because they wanted to create an atmosphere to where there was more offense that was happening, Yeah. right? And so, you know, you want 140-point games. You want people yeah. averaging 30 points a game, right? I'm used to those uh, scores that didn't uh, rise above 90, right? And and the Celtics, uh, 76ers, like those battles, right? Yeah. Uh, Lakers-Celtics, uh Pistons, uh, Bulls, Pistons, Knicks, right? Like, yeah. yo, you gonna you gonna work for it, right? That's and right. so you said in your you said in the last episode that we had, right? That you, you know you know they should pick you up, but you know you were no you were no so you was a football player, right? Yeah. But what what you said that resonated for me was when you were like, hey, I had five fouls. I used every one of them. <laughs> I tried to give me two extra them boys. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my fouls. That's basketball right there, right? Yeah. yeah. Using those yeah. five fouls, and you coming into the hole, and like you like, wait, do I really want to do that, or do I want to yeah. pull up and shoot that J? Do I want to take this? Do I want to take this uh, punishment that's gonna happen when I'm going to the hole? Yeah. Right. It's no longer none, any of that, right? Yeah. And so that's that's the problem. But hey, that Joker's push. Like imagine somebody pushes you, and then you wake it up, and you in a neck brace, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Come on, man. He he was exaggerating. He didn't. <laughs> It was a neck break. But hey, listen, what you didn't see, right? Is like, you know, Mars, the Mars brothers. Come on, man. But what you did see is his old boy Jimmy Butler. Oh, Jimmy was hot. They find Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy got 30 stacks. Hey, but there was hey, but listen. But Jimmy will Jimmy will show up on, on the other side of that locker room. <laughs> Jimmy was trying to get into the yeah. locker room. There was a picture of that with him and some other cats. I was like, dog, uh, like, what are you different. doing? Like he's he's different. <laughs> you know, he, he's definitely different. But speaking like of Ryan, different, yeah, yeah, go ahead. He's like Ron Artest different. Yeah, man, he 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 different like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy be on something else, man. Whenever whenever Jimmy get testy, I'm like, dude, you, yeah, calm, calm down, bro. Like you, you yeah. about to what you, what you about to segue into? You about to segue into Ben Simmons and his therapist? No, nah, I'm about to. Uh, uh, we can talk about that, but I was trying to get into the uh, Aaron Rodgers joint before we go. Yeah. Oh. Oh uh, man. Yes. Because yeah. Because uh, yeah. I, I, I was I was so hot. I was like, wait, 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 wait. What happened here? Yeah. Like, wait, 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 wait. But yet, y'all trying to throw shade at um, what's his name? Kyrie. 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 Yeah, yeah. And Kyrie told y'all he wasn't yeah. getting vaccinated. He yeah. told you why. Now I don't agree with him, but like. That's his – he was honest. Like, nope, I ain't vaccinated. Yeah. No, all right, you can dock my cheese, but, like – but Aaron Rodgers, yeah. it's it's like the epitome of white privilege. 
right white UC Berkeley, I think I'm smarter than everybody privilege too. That that has me just so like, bro, like you said you're immunized. So there, I was, bro, there is no other like if you say you're immunized, right? There is no wiggling out of that. Right? There's no wiggling out of that. Either you took one of three shots, right? right? If you did not take one of three shots, then you are not immunized. Right? So like what the hell are you talking about? You misspoke. You lied. Yeah. Right? You yeah. lied. And and the media is not holding them holding his feet to the fire, right? And so you see the attack, the Stephen A. attack on Kyrie, right? He did not have the same energy for Aaron Rodgers, and we all know why. That's right. I was so done with that. When I saw that, I said, you know what? I, I don't even know uh, what to do uh, with that. Uh, but on that note, uh, to, to the Packers fans, I'm going to continue with our weekly uh, sneaker at part of our show in the segment. Since you pulled out yours, I said, well, shout out to my I got, I, Hey, I got something. I got something. All right, well, we, we, we can go head to head this week. So yep. um, my homeboy, uh, Chaz Boy, shout out to Chaz. I got these J Balvins. Oh, wow. Just going to put them out there. Yes. We can take that off. It's a little Velcro spot. Yeah. I'm only going to wear these on the so, inside. So, talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah. So... What was super interesting to me is since the pandemic, I feel like my sneakerheadness has gone overboard. Okay. And now I have, yeah. I don't have enough of the little plastic boxes that I put them in. Yeah. So now I just got boxes on top of boxes. It's, it's pretty bad, right? Because now I have more time to sit in front of a computer. Whereas before, I was either trying to get to the office at 10 o'clock or was in the office, you know, when, when it all dropped. But since I'm working from home at 10 o'clock when most of the drops happen, I'm I'm sitting in front of my computer so I can uh, follow it. And I've been super interested in like uh, the, the cactus joints coming out this week. Um, the whole tragedy uh, with Travis Scott has me rethinking whether I should even get involved with that um, because it was tragic, uh, the loss of life at a damn concert. Uh, yeah. It's like, and there was, a, a, I think, a young person who was 10 years old, I think, who got trampled or was involved. Now, in now, the coma, right? Yeah, I was just like, this is crazy. But anyway, um, the ways in which shoes have evolved to the point where the colors are just so loud and irreverent, I actually have evolved myself since the pandemic. Because if you would have shown me that 18 months, 20 months ago, whenever we started with this whole thing, um, I'd have been like, nah, that's too much. Too much. It's too much, right? It's too much, right? And so um, I was motivated because I also like Jay Balvin as an artist. Um, and uh, the one thing I, I say about my addiction to sneakers is um, I've seen sneakers that I don't like. I've seen sneakers that I won't buy, but I ain't never seen a sneaker that I won't stop and look at. Right, right, right. I will stop and look at every sneaker in the store, like, oh, this is, oh, this is interesting, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Jay Balvin's shout out to uh, to this. Got these on uh, StockX, as a matter of yeah. fact. StockX had a drop. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's where I got them from. And shout out to StockX because Stacy Brown Philpot, uh, black woman, uh, she's their first. I think she's the first woman of color on their board. 
um, uh, at StockX. And Stacy Brown Philpot was the CEO of um, Task Rabbit, um, black woman from Detroit, uh, U of M, uh, I think U of M grad, maybe. Um, but for those that need inspiration for uh, folks who are doing amazing things, shout out to Stacy Brown Philpot. Uh, she's also on the board with me at Black Girls Code. So she's doing uh, amazing things. So uh, she keeps me engaged with, with StockX. So what, what you got? This one so, I'm rocking with so, today. So, all right, cool, bet. So went to take uh, went to take my Christmas picture uh, this week, right? And so, you know, with the fam or whatever, and uh, my son, he had on uh, some Jordan 1s or whatever, right? And yeah. so I'm in this suit, right? And so I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm going to do something different, right? I'm not wearing any uh, penny loafers or anything like that. Yo, I'm coming out of the crib the way that I want to show up in this picture, right? Took all kind of flack or whatever from the powers that be. But, hey, listen, I don't care about that, man. I'm showing up as my authentic self. Wow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The camo. Wow. That's what we went with in the picture, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Right? The camo phone. That's what that was the energy, right? And so that's the, a nice, that's a I, I don't know that I could wear that shoe. Bro, it ain't for everybody. It ain't for everybody, man. And that's the beauty, that's the beauty of that's the beauty of the sneaker game, right? Yeah, Is that there are enough drops that are coming out, right? That yeah. like Yo, if it doesn't fit your personality, you don't have to force yourself in it, right? Yeah, and yeah. then also, bro, if I wasn't working full time, I'd be working full time at, at these Nike outlet stores, going in on StockX, bam, bam. Yeah, man. It's going going to the, 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 the store, shipping them things up. It's a big business. Yeah, man. It is a uh, bad thing. Um, the other thing I will say uh, to close us out is uh, – I, I've become more comfortable since I got my COVID booster and I realize how much I miss being in community with other people. Right. And I'm naturally an introvert, which most people don't know uh, where I would much rather sit at home. I'm the cat who gets on the elevator in Las Vegas. It could be 10 in the morning or 10 at night, three in the morning. It could be a group full of people and they speaking and I'm sitting there like, so I don't know you like, <laughs> like, what? like but the other day, one of the homies uh, that I uh, um, uh, connected with, uh, he we went to uh, the MGM Casino here in the DMV and played craps, and it was it was so exciting just to see people. Um, everybody had masks on, um, and it made me realize that um, you know one of the things for me that um, uh, I'm committed to going into 2022 and Thanksgiving and and the Christmas holiday for for my people is really committed to being connected with with folks and actually making an effort to say like, hey, we should get together outside, go to the game, whatever it is, because I think that human connection, you know, I have missed and not realized it until I stood at the crap table um, with, with a group of people that I didn't know other than one person um, and just hearing the witty banter between uh, the, the stick, the stick, uh, stick man and uh, the the pit boss who was this black woman that was it was funny as hell <laughs> at the end of the crap table going back and forth so uh, definitely want to close by encouraging people to rebuild your community reconnect with your village um, as we uh, head into uh, this uh, holiday season that is is still a bit challenging my mother is not still not coming for Thanksgiving 
I'm hoping she'll be here for uh, Christmas. So definitely want to encourage folks to to reconnect with their village. So uh, what you got? Close us up, bro. Um, if you got the uh, if you if you have the fitness app, move your rings, stay focused, and pay attention to what your body is telling you uh, mm-hmm. to pay attention to. Uh, make sure you're getting a little bit of exercise in. Uh, it doesn't have to be full uh, full out uh, exercise. But make sure you're doing a little walk-in, paying attention to your breathing, and just paying attention to your body. Fellas, you're over 45. Make sure you're getting your colon uh, checked out, right? Yes, used sir. To be 50. Used to be 50 when uh, when they were telling you to go get your colon checked out. But, hey, listen, make sure you're setting up your doctor's appointments. Make sure you're going on those uh, those annual doctor's visits. I know it's a little bit tough uh, with COVID, um, you know, and, and appointments are backed up. But stay vigilant in terms of, like, setting those appointments up. And, you know, pay attention to your body, your body. If your body's telling you something, listen to it. Yeah. Well, we thank y'all. Two Dope Boys in the Pontiac Podcast. Check us out uh, on Spotify. Check us out on Twitter, all the other uh, social media uh, uh, spots. Uh, Thank y'all for uh, joining us. Uh, Everybody stay safe. Uh, Peace and love.